0: Good morning, well, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Especially after having dug myself out of a foot of snow, amen, I couldn't wait to get here and praise the Lord this morning. My name is Pastor Kareem Smith, I am delighted to be in your presence this morning. I am the pastor of senior adults, in particular the Forever Young Senior Adult Ministry at Grace Church, as well as the Olmstead Falls campus And uh, those of you who don't know what the Forever Young ministry is all about, uh, we're a gathering and a fellowship of those who are age 50 and up, where we gather together on a monthly basis to come and worship the Lord, and uh, we just sing songs of celebration to our King. Uh, We break bread together. We open God's Word. Did I mention that we eat too? we, we, (laughs) We eat well. And uh, look, consider this a shameless plug. We're actually meeting this second Saturday, 5 p.m. Saturday evening. If you're 50 and up, we want to invite you to come and check us out. We'll be meeting in the venue upstairs. Uh, The venue says that we're, uh, I'm sorry, the bulletin says 5.30, but scratch that. We are meeting at 5 p.m. this coming Saturday evening in the venue upstairs. Well, today we continue on our series, Devoted. Uh, six Habits for a Growing Relationship with God. And there is no doubt a word from the Lord from Ephesians chapter 6, which I would like to read in your hearing. Ephesians chapter 6. And as you're turning there on your, on your devices or in your, in your hard copy of God's word, let us open up with prayer. Father, I'm always humbled to be in your presence and to be given the opportunity to share your word with your people. I do ask, dear God, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, that you would take this word and apply it strategically to the individual lives of each and every member in this church. And Lord, help us to leave forth from this moment having been inspired and changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to read uh, verses 10 through 18, and uh, I'm only going to concentrate this message on verse 16 and 17, but for context's sake, I'm going to read the entire section, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and in addition to all this key verses right here take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. This morning I've titled this message Our Defense in the Day of Evil. Our defense in the day of evil. I'm going to need some help preaching this one today. (laughs) Years ago, I read a book review on a website called rapidnet.com. It's since been removed, but it says this. The residents of a sleepy college town of Ashton, comfortable in their middle American lifestyle, had no idea their community was about to play a significant role in the age-old battle between the forces of good and evil. A malevolent storm was brewing in the nether regions, a story that would challenge the mightiest of God's angels in their task to preserve the earth from satanic conquests. Author Frank Peretti weaves a tale of suspense tempered with humor in his book, This Present Darkness. It's actually a good book, too. The book is about the struggles against the spiritual darkness that pervades the earth. It's a story interlaced with cosmic battles, demon possessions, and witchcraft. Peretti's tale braids the story of Ashton's human struggle with the real struggle behind the scenes, the spiritual warfare that controls the destinies of men demon spirits dark sinister and fierce in their antagonism against God and man gather together in a brooding cloud of evil discernible only to the spirits in their realm it's almost, it's almost as if I should end this by saying and coming to a theater near you yeah. <laughs> sounds like something tailor-made for Hollywood but I want you to know that as much as this was the review of a fictional book, this theme of spiritual warfare is anything but fictional. What I mean is that there is a cosmic battle of epic proportion going on right now behind the scenes of your lives. And in this battle, it it involves witchcraft, demon possessions, and deception of all kinds. It involves demon spirits, dark, sinister, and fierce. And it involves all sorts of evil in the cosmic realm. And if you think this is a tale or a page from the latest Ghostbusters film, you're sadly mistaken. Because the truth of there being an unseen spiritual world that lies beyond our world didn't just begin in Hollywood. It comes from the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about a world that lies beyond planet Earth. And in this world, it's a world that is teeming with activity. It's associated with agendas, and it's inspired by intelligence. And though we might scoff and may even scorn the notion, it's a world that's at war. You and I are at war, ladies and gentlemen, with an unseen spiritual foe. And it's my humble duty this morning to remind us of that fact. And I want to remind us of that fact because, quite frankly, some of us have allowed the enemy to infiltrate the ranks. And he's infiltrated the ranks and he's wreaking havoc in our homes. He's wreaking havoc on our thought lives. Peace of mind. He's wreaking havoc in our communities, in our world today. He's wreaking havoc everywhere you turn. And I'm just here to say this morning that the enemy has ransacked our lives for long enough and it's time for us to take back territory from the enemy. Amen? So what I want to do this morning is teach us something in reference to that fact, how to take back spiritual territory from the evil one. Let me give us a little bit of background on how we even got to this warfare language in the book of Ephesians in the first place. You see, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul as one of his four prison epistles. Paul wrote this letter to illustrate and highlight the vast amount of blessings that are entitled to us who place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He also gives us some practical lessons for how we should live out our lives after placing faith in Jesus Christ. But I love how he begins the book of Ephesians. Because he starts it off talking about our blessings. He begins in chapter 1 and uses the entire first section of Ephesians to pretty much say you and I are blessed beyond measure. (laughs) He says in chapter 1, we are blessed in the heavenly realms. This heavenly realm that Paul refers to in chapter 1 is the spatial arena where the glory of God is made manifest in our lives. Your life can be part of that realm as you live to glorify God with it. That's the heavenly realm. It's the place where God is in operation. It's the place where you see his activity made manifest in your world and in your life. Paul says you're blessed in this realm, this realm where God's glory reigns. Furthermore, he says we're blessed because we've been chosen and predestined before the foundation of the world by God what God had in mind is that he would choose a group of people to bless and then make us holy and blameless in his sight. Now you think about the ramifications of that. Paul says before the world even began, before God spoke the universe into creation and existence, in fact, before God even got start started, he had you in mind. And Paul says because of that fact, you blessed. But Paul don't stop there. Paul continues on. He says we're blessed because we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. You know what this means? Is It means that you and I have the same rights now as sons and daughters of Almighty God. That means we can call on him when we need him. Because he is our father. He is our Abba, father. We can go to him as a son or a daughter and use God for whatever we need in our life. He promises our provision. And the greatest provision he could give us is himself. (laughs) And from there, Paul just pretty much can't stop. From verse 3 all the way to verse 14 in chapter 1 is pretty much one long run-on sentence in the Greek. It was like Paul turned into Oprah Winfrey. It's like, you get a blessing. You get a a blessing. I mean, for 14, or was it 10 straight verses, just on and on and on, talking about these breathtaking blessings as a result of yours and my inclusion in the body of Jesus Christ. But now we come to a problem. In chapter 6, we got a problem now because Paul knows what you and I know as well, and that is what God tends to bless, Satan often attacks. Make no mistake about it. What God tends to bless, Satan often attacks. Now, for the most part, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Because you know just as well as I do that Satan has been running rampant in our day and age today. It used to be Satan hid in the shadows and in the dark. He ain't even hiding no more. He just come right out, here I am. And what you going to do about it? It used to be, high. now he's right there. So I'm preaching to the choir. Just look at the condition of our country today and all of its turbulence and turmoil. Well, all of its tribalism and discord. Now I'm just talking about the church. ain't even got to the world yet. <laughs> the apathy, the anarchy, the injustice, the social unrest. All of this is indicative of the fact that we're at war. But we're not just at war with flesh. Paul says we're at war with an unseen spiritual foe. And so the question on the table then becomes, how should we respond as the church of God in Jesus Christ? In other words, how do we resist the onslaught of Satan's sneak attack? Well, this morning, I want us to focus on two indispensable pieces of armor that we have as believers in Jesus Christ Right now at our disposal. These are divine weapons. And the first one shows up in verse 16. This is the first among many, I should say. But first verse 16, I want us to focus on that shield. It's the shield of faith. Notice what Paul says, verse 16. In addition to all this, all what? Well, all these other pieces of armament that he just went over, beginning with verse 10. He says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Well, the word shield here, I want you to know, it's not the small round shield that usually pops up into our mind when it comes to battle, when we have in mind warfare or the sort of language of a soldier in combat. In a hand-to-hand combat, we usually think of a small round shield that the soldier might use more as an offensive weapon. Now, that's not what Paul has in mind. What Paul has in mind is more of a long oblong shield worn by the soldier in order to protect the soldier's entire body from the fiery darts that would be tossed at him from the enemy. These darts often would be dipped in tar, these arrows dipped in pitch, and they would be set on fire and flung from long distances. When they landed in the enemy camp, it was almost as if, a firebomb exploded. And so in order to resist this type of attack, the soldier needed something that would be strong. Uh, The soldier needed a fortified defense or sort of a frontline defense. Well, I want to suggest this morning that what Paul has in mind with this shield of faith language, he's using the shield of faith as a metaphor to describe the manifest presence of God that provides us coverage in the midst of cosmic conflict. I'll say it again. This shield is a metaphor. And what Paul has in mind is it describing the manifest presence of God that provides you and me coverage in the midst of cosmic warfare and conflict. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we find references to that of God being a shield for his people. Psalm 3320, the psalmist says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 33, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 8411, for the Lord God is a son and a what? He's a shield. He is our defense. You get the picture here. God is a shield. He is a protector. He is a a confidant and and he he hoards and protects those of us who face uh, unlimited amounts of persecution from the enemy. Even if that persecution happens to be in angelic form, God promises that we can trust him to be our shield. He will be our protection in the midst of whatever storm we might face. It just takes faith to believe it. A few weeks ago, we were able to commemorate the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, here's a man who was martyred for his faith, a champion for justice and righteousness and truth. He died for what he believed in, make no mistake about it, and what he believed in was from the Bible. And in his autobiography, he remembers a time when he almost gave up the fight. It was during the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. King describes an evening when he went to bed one night and he happened to wake up in the middle of the night to the telephone ringing. And when he picked up the telephone, on the other end of the line was an angry voice in a racist rant. And he was going on talking about how he was going to kill Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now ordinarily, Dr. King would just hang up the phone and go back to bed But this night was different, because the man on the other end wasn't just threatening Dr. King, he was threatening Dr. King's whole family, his wife, his kids. And so Dr. King was scared. The biography goes on to state that after King hung up the phone, he he couldn't go back to sleep. And so in his own words, he writes this, describing that experience. He said, it seemed as though all my fears had come upon me at once. I reached the saturation point. I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right, but I'm faltering, he says. I'm losing courage and now I'm afraid and I'm at the end of my powers. Lord, I've come to the point where I cannot face this alone. And later on, King wrote this. He said, it seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance in my inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice and stand up for truth and I will be with you even to the end of the world. He says, I tell you that even I've seen lightning flash, I've heard the thunder roar and I felt sin breakers dashing trying to conquer my soul but I heard the voice of Jesus that night saying to me still to fight on. And at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine, he says, like I had never experienced him before. Almost at once, all my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything, is what he says. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that on that fretful, dreadful night, what Dr. Martin Luther King experienced was none less than the manifest presence of God. It was the the confidence that he needed and the presence of God coming to Dr. Martin Luther King, just just showering him with his nearness to give his soul the assurance that it needed. In essence, what Dr. King did was he put down his fears and he picked up his shield. That shield being the manifest presence of God that came to give his soul assurance. This isn't an odd uh, anomaly. This happens all throughout the Bible. If you look at the story of the prophet Elijah, uh, Elijah found God's presence to be a shield while on the run from Jezebel. Guess what? He turned to the Lord and he found that the Lord was his shield. Moses found God's presence to be a shield while in the wilderness. Jesus found intimacy with the Father to be a shield in the garden of Gethsemane. You can go on and on. Even in our contemporary, in contemporary times today, the Amish missionaries recently, you heard about them a few months ago, kidnapped in Haiti, held for ransom for 60 days, no way to get out, never knowing if they would live or die. And That's the part of the story you and I mostly hear about in the media, but what we don't hear about is how they found God's presence to be a shield. One report goes on to say that they would often pray and they would sing songs of celebration and praise to God three times a day they committed to do that while in the midst of their captivity. And one report says that they would even go and share the gospel with their captors. Now you have to ask yourself, how could they sing songs of celebration and praise while in the midst of captivity? How could they share the gospel with their captors? Well, they could do all these things because they found God's presence to be a shield. A shield of defense is what they found God's presence to be. And I want to encourage somebody this morning who may be ready to throw in the towel. And you're saying to yourself, I'm tired of living. I'm tired of dealing with anxiety every single day of my life. I'm, I'm tired of all the problems that exist in our world. I'm, I'm struggling for peace of mind. I'm, I'm struggling for a sense of normalcy. Uh, my struggle is for a sense of justice or truth or there's conflict at home or, or there's conflict on the job or there's conflict with my own personal sins and, and habits. I want to encourage you this morning to pick up your shield. That shield being the manifest presence of God that reminds you of his nearness and delivers you from all evil. That's what God promises us. He has, once we have complete confidence and trust in him that he can deliver us from all evil, guess what? He manifests his presence in the form of his nearness and, and reminds you that he's near you. This shield, I want you to know, it has a divine purpose. It has intent with it. What does a shield do? Second half of verse 16 says it all with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is important because dipped in pitch and set ablaze, these arrows were like flaming missiles. When they would be tossed and lobbed into the enemy camp, oftentimes when they landed and the firebomb went off, it was almost like chaos happened. Uh, people scattered in confusion people panic because of these these like flaming missiles they would land and people would just be scattered and confused and I don't have to draw a parallel for you this morning to see how this relates to our day and age today because I don't know if you know it or not but there are flaming missiles landing everywhere around us and we see people scattered and confused the American church today is scattered and confused why because flaming arrows from the enemy have landed on it. Flaming arrows from the enemy have landed on all of our institutions today. Flaming arrows from the enemy are landing on our government. Flaming arrows from the evil one have landed on our healthcare industry. Flaming arrows from the evil one have landed in our public schools. Flaming arrows from the evil one are landing on our police departments. Flaming arrows from the evil one have long since landed in communities of color. Come on, somebody. This is Satan's operation. And it's as if Satan himself has unleashed the hounds of hell, and it's literally now raining flaming arrows and missiles. But I want you to know this morning that I ain't scared. And neither should you be either. Because God has given us the promises in his word and we stand beneath those promises in full trust and confidence that God is our deliverer. He conquers and delivers all evil and rescues us from the storm. God has given us the precious promise of his word. 2 Timothy chapter one explains it well for us. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. This is what God gives us to use right now in the midst of the chaos we see happening in our world. We need a sound mind. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where the helmet of salvation comes in. <laughs> because God just, he doesn't just give us the promise of his presence as a shield of security. He's given us the helmet of salvation. Notice what he says as we back up again to verse 16. In addition to all this, Okay, he says, take up the shield of faith. The purpose with the shield is that it protects us and extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. But notice in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. (laughs) Now you have to picture this scene. These fiery darts often would come down from the enemy. And when they would come down from the enemy, they would come down from above. And so uh, the soldier would need something that would protect the soldier's head, because the head was pretty much the most important uh, factor in the fight. This is important because it was the, the head that protected the soldier's mind, and the soldier needed his mind most, because if the soldier didn't have his mind to use, then he wouldn't be able to operate and quick on his feet, and thus he had to be quick on his feet, because if the soldier wasn't quick on his feet, guess what? It was fatal. And so the soldier needed protection for not just his head, but he needed protection for his mind as well. And I want to suggest this morning that within this cosmic conflict that we find ourselves up against today, that Satan's main point of entry is the mind. It's the mind. Our thought lives serve as the portal for Satan's malicious attacks for his malicious lies and evil. This is the main point of entry for each and every one of us here under the sound of my voice. That is what Satan is after, your mind. On May 4th, some of you may remember this. It's the year 2000. The world was introduced to the I love you virus. The "I love you virus came in as a harmless looking email with I love you in the subject line. And within that email was an attachment that upon opening that attachment, it resulted in a worm-like virus that would replicate itself and then resend itself to everybody in the recipient's address book. For 10 days straight, this virus wreaked havoc on the whole country because it spread like wildfire and it brought major corporations to its knees. Ford Motor Company was brought to its knees. AT&T pretty much shut down. High-powered organizations, the Pentagon, even the government, the CIA was impacted by this thing. In fact, it was estimated that when it was all said and done, the I Love You virus affected 45 million users and caused $10 billion worth of damage. Now, what's interesting about the I Love You virus is that the I love you virus was pretty much harmless unless it was opened. In other words, you can get the email, yes, nothing happened. You can read the subject line and you cool, nothing happens. But the minute you take the bait, the minute you open up that attachment, the minute you begin to engage with the email and the attachment, guess what? You open yourself up to the sneak attack of cyber criminals. And so this is exactly how Satan operates. You think about it. Satan often operates by targeting our minds with deceptive advertising campaigns. It's sort of like an air campaign assault. He lures us away with his lies, hoping that we might open the attachment, begin to engage with it, and begin to embrace it, his lies, as our own. Your subject line this morning might read something like You deserve to be happy in your marriage, and you're not. So, why not live a little on the wild side? Live a little on the edge. And so, you begin to flirt with that coworker on the job. You took the bait. You begin to direct message that old high school sweetheart of yours who just friended you on Facebook, and you say to yourself, it's all just innocent fun, but it's more than just innocent fun. What you've done is you've taken the bait of an insidious lie and therefore opened yourself up to a sneak attack. A sneak attack of the enemy. It's real. It's real. Another subject line might read, you're unworthy and you are unlovable. The things that you've done in your life are just simply unforgivable. And you are disqualified from God's grace. You are disqualified from God's love. And now you come in here this morning because you've opened the attachment, you feel like a loser. And you feel like a failure in life. You see, it's one thing for us to receive the message. It's another thing for us to open that bad boy up and begin to meditate on it, begin to embrace it as our own and therefore subject ourselves to the schemes of Satan. This is what he does. And so how do we silence the voice of the enemy? And how do we silence cell phones that go off in the middle of sermons? (laughs) It's with the helmet of salvation. Because the helmet of salvation enables you and me to think like soldiers of Jesus Christ. It's the helmet of salvation that enables us to be quick on our feet, sort of instinctive. It's the unique type of weapon that, get this, it derives its origin from the Spirit of God. It's spiritual in essence. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 says it well. For though we live, this is talking about believers in Christ now. Though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And get this, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to take our thoughts captive. This is the only way to win in the spiritual battle that you and I are up against. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, never before have we lived in such a time as this that demands we use this tactic. Never before. The war that we find ourselves facing today, I'm here to tell you, it's a war that can't be won with the flesh. Yeah, it can't. Every morning we wake up, there's something new to be outraged about. Every morning we turn around, the media's feeding us it's propaganda. Politicians ignoring facts, stoking fears, conspiracy theorists spreading senseless and uh, dramatic delusions and misinformation and disinformation, I mean, I'm here to tell you, I I, I believe we're gonna look back at this day and age and label it the age of absurdity. Just, just, Just the age of, it's ridiculous what we see going on in our society today. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little bit shell-shocked behind it because I'm tired. I'm just exhausted from it all. I'm exhausted from every time I turn around, i got to debunk another lie. I'm exhausted from that. Every time I turn around, there's somebody else being outraged over something. There's, there's always something else I need to help out. There's a believer or a friend of mine who's fallen victim of a worldly ideology. It's just simply exhausting. Author Mark, John Mark Comer, in his book Live No Lies, he quotes Gary Kasparov. Gary Kasparov is the former world chess champion a Russian democracy advocate, and he lives now in Croatia, probably in hiding. And he happened to post something on his Twitter feed a few years back. It talks about propaganda and, and the whole intent behind modern-day propaganda. And I thought it was pretty interesting. Notice what he says here. He says, he says, the point of modern propaganda isn't only to misinform or push an agenda. It is to exhaust your critical thinking to annihilate truth. I'll say it again. The point of modern propaganda, it isn't only to exhaust or to to misinform or push an agenda, it's to exhaust your critical thinking to annihilate truth. You see, what Gary has in mind is what the prophet Daniel has in mind when he talked about the Antichrist, who would, he describes him this way, he says, he shall speak against the most high and he shall wear out the saints. Well, how does he wear out the saints? Through lies and persecution and so this is all the more reason why saints of God we need to strap on our chin straps buckle up put on the helmet of salvation because with the helmet of salvation on we can now think straight in a world that's lost its way we can fend off all of the lies that are coming our way as flaming arrows from the enemy but come disguised and camouflaged as truth. No, they're lies, and you need to discipline your thought lives in the midst of all this chaos and embrace God's truth in the midst of the lies. (laughs) Embrace the word of God. This is our only hope and our only deliverer and our only rescuer right now in the midst of such devastating chaos. And so how do we resist the onslaught of Satan's sneak attacks? We seek cover behind the shield of faith, which is God's presence. We secure our thought lives with the helmet of salvation, which is a sound biblical mind. And these two pieces of armor are the divine tools needed to snuff out the flaming arrows that come our way in the world we live in today. Let me close with this. Every now and then I'll, (laughs) I'll get one of those notifications on my computer, my desktop, and it'll say, it's time to update your operating system. If I update the operating system, it comes with advantages. It'll repair certain security holes, fix bugs, and patch security flaws. I mean, it it comes with certain advantages. The disadvantage, if I don't uh, update the operating system, is it makes me susceptible to attack. What Paul's been telling us, using the entire book of Ephesians, is that when you and I come to Jesus Christ, we come to Jesus Christ from a past life of sin. But after we come to Jesus Christ from a past life of sin, guess what we're given? We're given a brand new operating system. That old operating system is dead. That old operating system has been discontinued. It's deficient. It no longer works. It's incompatible. It just it couldn't, it couldn't perform. It was like Windows 8. It, just, it was clunky, you know? In other words, the old operating system was dead on arrival because the old operating system operated exclusively off sin and Satan's influence. Sin and Satan's influence. That is who we were before we came to Jesus. He says it in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He explains our life prior to Christ this way. He says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses, transgressions, and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. You know what this means? Is that outside of Jesus Christ, you were under the influence of Satan, just like the rest of the world is today. Now, that's not to say that everybody walking around who's unsaved is possessed. But everybody walking around who's unsaved is some way, in some way, shape, or form under the influence of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. No question about it. This describes your neighbors who may not know Jesus Christ. This describes some people who you work with who may not know Jesus Christ. This certainly describes some politicians you and I know. And Paul says, this is who we were before we came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You see, once we were slaves to sin, this is who I was. Once we were slaves to Satan's influence, and it made us susceptible to Satan's lies, it held us captive to the flesh where we rejected God's truth and exchanged God's truth for lies. This is who we were. We exchanged God's truth for lies about our identity, lies about our race, lies about our faith, lies about our destiny. We were all by nature hardwired with lies. But praise God, he saved us. Because we get to verse four in chapter two, and verse four begins with but God. Now remember what I told you, last message I preached to you, with every but God or but now in the Bible, you can always anticipate a reason to praise God. You can always anticipate a reason to praise his name because, but now, the text says, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you and I have been saved. And we give God praise for that. We give him glory for that. Because it's now by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can now not only just be saved from sin, we have a one-way ticket to heaven, but guess what? God doesn't leave us on this planet alone to deal with the influence of the enemy. He sends us the deposit of his Holy Spirit who in essence serves as a new operating system. (laughs) And this operating system is better than a Mac this operating system is divine. <laughs> ah, praise his holy name. And so we can now stand against the schemes of the evil one, having assurance that we have already been given victory because God has given us the victory in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so what does all this mean? What does all this mean? God offers us divine weapons to defend against the schemes of Satan which means you and I have nothing to be afraid of in a world filled with chaos and evil all around us. Amen? Amen. Father, we do praise you. We do praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you, Jesus, for what you have given the church. You've given the church all the victory we need in Jesus. You've given us weapons for our defense Lord, teach us to be responsible. (laughs) Teach us not to lose our way. Teach us to be in alignment with your will, in alignment with your purpose and plan for our life. Teach us, Lord, that you have now given us the victory once and for all in Jesus' name, and you've given us divine weapons to combat the fiery darts from the evil one. And so teach us, Lord, as we leave from here, to pick up our shield. Teach us, O oh God, to strap on our helmet of salvation, which is a sound mind, a sound biblical mind, and grant us victory today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 amen.